our scripture reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I wasn't uh, sure if I'd be here this morning. I was expecting, <coughs> excuse me, to be discharged from the hospital tomorrow and got the good news that I, they let me out today. So, yeah. Oh, thanks. So, uh, still a long road to recovery. I don't expect to probably be up here on a regular basis until uh, probably maybe early February, something like that. So, uh, couldn't sustain a, a full sermon at the minute. But um, uh, I was reading Philippians uh, while I was uh, laying in my hospital bed this week. And uh, Philippians 1.19, Paul writes these words, because he's writing for prison. And he says, for I know that through your prayers, the prayers of the saints, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And uh, I just so resonate with that. I just want to say uh, thank you so much. So many of you have sent me messages and we're praying for you and uh, just encouraging us in so many different ways. And in those moments where you yourself feel so physically weak, you know there's nothing in and of yourself that's going to deliver you from anything. And it really has been true. Uh, your prayers, uh, the prayers of so many others uh, praying and uh, with the help of the Lord. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Lonnie, our, our speaker, uh, and then his wife, Disty. Um, there you go. Uh, so, um, normally I would want you to be hospitable and go and chat to people, but I'm going to discourage you to do that because these guys have known me since I was 13. And I just don't know what Disney would tell you uh, if, if you went and hung out with her for too long. So say hi, be courteous, and then move along uh, in that kind of way. So uh, Lonnie was actually my youth pastor growing up. Um, humanly speaking, he's probably the reason I, I'm in ministry. Um, and I uh, just thought that there was uh, <laughs> something there that, that the Lord might use in, in my life and encourage me in that way. And so um, and they've really flown all the way over here from Texas just to encourage us, help Sue. They weren't sure how long I'd be in the hospital and uh, just wanted to, to be here. Their church has been an encouragement to us, Granbury Baptist. Uh, they sent 15,000 
dollars when we were renovating this place. So the last time Lonnie was here, we were still meeting in Cook, and this was peach walls, and I think there were some pews still left in here, and orange carpet, and um, all of that. So uh, their church has been a, a huge encouragement to our church, and is uh, prayed for us regularly. And uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to uh, give you guys a bit of context of, of who they are. They're going to be here this next week, and then Lonnie will be preaching in South next Sunday as well. So uh, they'll get to uh, be blessed by them as well. So, Lonnie, if you want to come on, come on up, and, uh, and uh, let me just pray for you, and then we'll uh, cut you loose. Father, we just thank you for um, the way that you put people in our lives that shape us, that mold us, uh, disciple us. Um, and I just thank you for Lonnie and Dissy's faithfulness uh, to you um, and knowing them uh, most of my life and to watch how you've used them powerfully, not only in our lives, um, but in the lives of so many others. Um, Father, I just pray that you'd bless Lonnie, uh, that he would feel the freedom of your spirit to uh, just preach to us this morning. Um, yeah, just uh, anoint him this morning as he comes to, to bring your word. And uh, we ask all this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, it's already been a good day today, amen? Good, good, uh, good that Lucas got some news about uh, getting out, and so we're excited for that. It's good to be here in nice, warm, sunny Ireland. Good to be here. When we left Texas, it was sunny in 80. Is it going to get that warm here while I'm here? No? Maybe not? Well, we're, we're, uh, we're glad to be with you. I wanted to start off with a quote uh, hopefully you have a little, there's a little handout there, a little outline for you. There's some notes there, and I hope to give you some more notes that you'll write down. Uh, it's a privilege to preach God's Word, teach God's Word, but by Wednesday, you will have forgotten 95% of what I say. That's kind of discouraging. So that's why you have something on your paper to read and to remember. Even though most of you look pretty young, you'll probably still have forgotten 95% by Wednesday, and that's kind of depressing as a preacher. I wanted to start off with a quote. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. It's uh, C.S. Uh, what's that? Uh, Smith, no, Lewis. I think it's C.S. Lewis. He said, I have learned now that while those who speak about one's miseries usually hurt, those who keep silence hurt more. You see, even though it's a little warmer in Texas than it is here, in there we eat burritos and chips. Here you eat fish and chips. They're a little different, different chips. <clears throat> and there's a lot of differences between here and Texas, which is roughly 4,500 miles from here, in case you're wanting to know, just around the corner. There's one thing that you and I have in common. And even though I haven't known you as long as I've known Lucas and Sue since they were Young teenagers, they're pretty rough back then. They've, they've come a long ways. One thing you and I have in common that everybody in this room, the people on my right and the people in the middle and the people on my left, here's what we have in common. We've all been hurt. But here's the good news. There's hope for the hurting. In the States, we celebrate Thanksgiving in November, and then we close in on Christmas, and you have New Year's, and it's a time of holidays, and it's one of the most lonely, dark, depressing, sad 
discouraging times of the year for some people because they have no hope. And it's magnified when everyone else is celebrating and acting like they're full of hope. We've all been hurt. You're hurt and I'm hurt. Here's the question. Who cares? Who will listen to your hurt? Who really cares that your heart is breaking? Does anybody? Is there someone that really cares, that will really listen to you? Is there hope for the hurting? Could you say that phrase with me out loud? Could you say, there is hope for the hurting? There is hope for the hurting. And his name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. His name is Jesus. That is good news, as Thomas said earlier. How many of you like good news? Raise your, raise your hand. How many? Huh? The gospel is good news. There's good news. There is hope for the hurting. You see, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. And we have eternal hope. His name is Jesus. Question for you today, is God your hope? Is Jesus your hope? Hope is a gift. God's hope is a wonderful gift, a source of strength and courage in the, in the face of life's harshest trials. When we are trapped in a tunnel of misery, hope points to the light at the end. When we are overworked and exhausted, hope gives us fresh energy. When we are discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we are tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. <clears throat> when we lose our way and confusion blurs the destination, hope dulls the edge of panic. When we struggle with a crippling disease or a lingering illness, hope helps us persevere beyond the pain. And Lucas and Sue could talk to that better than I could today. How can you be that positive and optimistic in the midst of pain? It's hope. When we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. When we must endure the consequences of bad decision, hope fuels our recovery. So today, many of you in this room are hurting. Maybe some of you had the best week of your life this week. Maybe some of you had the worst week of your life this week. I just wonder if I could talk to every one of you today. I wonder what kind of hurt you're dealing with. And maybe you don't even tell anybody. Maybe you just come to church and shake hands and, hi, how are you? And I'm great and I'm wonderful and life's awesome. And, and you're fighting with your wife on the way to church, right? What kind of hurt are you going through? What kind of storm of hurt has swept into your life? The storm of death? The storm of divorce? The storm of disease? The storm of debt? Has a feud erupted in your family? A betrayal in your marriage? A rebellion to your parenting? The miscarriage of a pregnancy? A severance from a job? How have you reacted to this hurt? Where do you place your hope. The 
there's a couple of places we don't want to place our hope. Before we look at where our true hope should be, where we can find real hope, before we look at that, let me give you a couple of places you don't want to look for hope. Most people are looking for hope in the world. They're looking for hope in pleasure. They're looking for hope in power. They're looking for hope in position. They're looking for hope in prosperity. And their hope is a Well, I just wish, and if I really have a strong desire, this type of hope is just based on wishful thinking. And if I just hope hope enough, maybe it will come true. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about today. I have a little, little visual aid for you today. This kind of represents, this kind of represents where some people put their hope. So this is a Kansas City Chief uh, hat football team uh, over in the States. Uh, Lucas and John, they kind of worship, I mean, they kind of like this team, uh, the Chiefs. And they really have high hopes this year because they're in first place and they're doing great. But you know what? This is not where you want to put your hope. Huh? <laughs> they, have a, they have a great track record to prove it. You know, now, I was going to have Sue come up and model this for you, but I'll just let her relax today. I thought about Lucas, but he doesn't like to get his hair messed up. And so Lucas told me yesterday the star, one of their star players on this team was fired because a video came out showing him beating his girlfriend. He has power. He has position. He has privilege, he has prosperity, and yet his hope is not working out where he's placing it in the things of the world. Does that make sense? That's not where you want to place your hope. By the way, this is John, John's hat, so I'm, not for me. I'm just, a deli- I'm just a delivery guy. It wasn't for me. You don't, want to put your, you don't want to put your hope in the world. Does that make sense? Right? Okay. Can I give you another place you don't want to put your hope? You don't want to put your hope in religion. You don't want to put your hope in the world. You don't want to put your hope in religion. The last time I was here, as Lucas said, this place had pews and different carpet and and that pretty peach color on the... Do you like peach? That was actually the color my wife and I got married in, peach and white, so don't badmouth it too much. uh, Because my wife gets kind of cranky sometimes. Some people, said, some people said to me, Lonnie, do you, you know, do you ever wake up grumpy? I say, no, I just let her sleep in. So don't, 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 get, my wife, don't get my wife grumpy, okay? So uh, don't badmouth Peach too much. <clears throat> but the last time I was here, uh, this place looked differently. But you know what? I like the colors. I, I like the decorations, the chair. It, it, it looks great. But guess what? This is a box. Huh? Don't put your hope in this building. Don't put your hope in just a service that you attend once a week. Don't compartmentalize your faith. See, this is a celebration service. This is the day the Lord made, and we will be glad and rejoice in it. So do you have something to celebrate? Have you been living for the Lord all week long? Do you have something to celebrate today? Does does this connect with you? Do you love to sing to him? Do you love to learn about him? Do you love to serve him? Do you love to give to him? Do you have something? To, do you have a life that's, that's devoted to Christ? Don't be 
Don't put your hope in religion, denominations, Protestant versus Catholic, Baptist versus Presbyterian. Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in Jesus. He's our hope. Don't put it in religion. I'm going to tell you just a couple of stories today about Lucas. Can I do that? Is that all right? These are stories I don't tell that often, but since they involve Lucas, I thought I'd break it out a little bit today. These are true stories, by the way, okay? Lucas and I uh, worked together in a church in Springfield, Missouri, and this is the year 2000, and we had Christmas, and Disney and I were praying about moving from Missouri to the northern part of the states in a state called Michigan, a lot colder. I don't advise going there right now, snow and cold, and, and so we're praying about that and praying about that, and I, we'd been in Missouri a long time, and it's a big move. I don't know if I want to go to Michigan or not, and so we're praying and uh, I wake up one morning, and I said, Disty, I had this dream last night that our sanctuary, kind of you know, like this, flooded. That was my dream. I, I don't normally tell my wife my dreams. They're just dreams or you forget about them, right? And so I tell her about this dream, and I wake up, and, and I say, hey, I had this dream that the church flooded. That's kind of crazy, so I didn't think anything about it. I go to church that day, and I'm working, and Lucas is back in our youth building, and he's taking down Christmas lights. So it's easy to remember what time of the year it is. He's taking down the Christmas lights. And uh, I said, Lucas, I had this crazy dream that our sanctuary flooded. And I don't know why I told Lucas, but I just told him. We're in the youth building, and we get a call on the phone, and Lucas was kind of helping out with the buildings, I think, a little bit then. So they call him to the sanctuary. And I'm not even thinking anything of it. And I'm, I'm just out there with him. I said, well, let's, let's just, I'll just go with you. I don't know what they need. And we walk into our sanctuary, and it has black glass doors. So you can't see in the sanctuary until you open the doors. And when we walked into the sanctuary, guess what had happened? It was flooded down front. And I had dreamt that the night before. And so what had happened, we have a baptistry up high, and below it we have ceiling tiles, and someone left the baptistry on, and the water went over, broke through the ceiling tiles, because in my dream I saw a dark black spot. And so the water had gone over the ceiling tiles, gone into the front of the sanctuary, and flooded it. And that was my dream the night before. I've never had that happen before or after in my life where I had a dream and something happened. But we were making a big decision. I felt like the Lord was just kind of guiding us and directing us. But I tell you that to say this, my hope is not in dreams. My hope is not in visions, and my hope's not in miracles. My hope's in the Lord. My hope's in Jesus Christ. Just give me Jesus. Well, what does biblical hope look like? Uh, on your outline there, there's a few descriptions. We'll get into our text just uh, a description, a few notes I wrote down there. Hope is looking forward by looking backward. We look to the next coming of the Lord because we know that he's been here before in his first coming and he came as Savior. It's a full life based on an empty tomb. You see, when Christ was crucified, thousands and thousands of Romans were killing, were, uh, thousands of people were being crucified by the Romans. It's a very common death, very cruel, but only one rose from the dead. It's a full life based on an empty tomb. It's focused on righteousness, not riches. It's looking for the Savior to return. He came the first time as a sacrificial serving Savior. The next time he'll come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is our hope. 
Hope is this, is confident assurance of future blessings based on God's promises and his faithfulness. It's confident assurance of future blessing based on God's promises and faithfulness. So does it really matter that we have hope? You say, oh, I don't know about all this. And does it really matter? What will happen today if you leave here without hope? How vital is hope? Without it, prisoners of war die and and languish. Without it, students get discouraged and drop out of school. Without it, athletic teams fall into slump and continue to lose. Fledgling writers longing to be published run out of determination. Addicts return to their habits. Marriage partners decide to divorce. Inventors, artists, entertainers, entrepreneurs, even preachers lose their creativity. Hope isn't merely a nice option that helps us temporarily clear a hurdle. It's essential to our survival, and Jesus is our eternal hope. Let's look at our text today as was read earlier, 1 Peter. The first point we want to look at is what do we need to realize about this hope in Jesus? Why is it so important? Why would you put your faith in Jesus today? The first point is God's hope is supernaturally powerful. We serve a supernatural God, and he's supernaturally powerful. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Now, you just have to remember our context here. If you looked at a couple of verses before as the chapter starts, Peter is writing to Jews that have been scattered. How would you feel today if you were taken out of your country? How would you feel today if you were homeless? How would you feel today if you're being persecuted for your faith? What if someone broke into these doors right now and put a gun to your head? How would you feel? How would you feel to be persecuted, to be homeless, to be hopeless? Well, Peter writes a letter to these Jews who are now in what we would call modern Turkey. And the word suffering is mentioned roughly 15 times in our letter here, the, the first Peter. God's hope is supernaturally powerful. Verse 3, <clears throat> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a, what's the next two words? To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a couple of points that I wrote on your your paper there based on this These verses, God's hope is supernaturally powerful. Only God can bring life out of death. Have you experienced that in your life? Once I was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm, I'm alive. I was lost, now I'm found. You see, death is our enemy, but Christians can face it with eternal hope. I'll just tell you briefly, my mom was pregnant at 14 years old. My mom had me when she was 14. How many of you think 14 is a little young to have babies? I think it's a little young. My mom was 14. My mom and dad got married. It didn't work, so my mom and dad got divorced when I was five. My mom ended up getting married five times. It's four times too many. And the second guy she married was a dope dealer, a drug dealer. And he talked her into being a stripper. 
My mom went from being a stay-at-home mom to now she's a stripper working in nightclubs. Then our family business became owning a nightclub on the east side of Indianapolis. And, we, and our side businesses, we grew marijuana and, and dealt drugs. We, we sold and we, we grew marijuana in our backyard. And my stepdad was a drug dealer and my mom was a stripper. My mom ended up getting married five times. That marriage didn't work. I went to 13 schools growing up in 13 years. But praise the Lord for a godly grandmother that prayed for me, stepped into my home, took me out of that home, took me out of the darkness, took me out of death, and God used her to introduce me to Jesus as nine years old. And when I was 11, I moved in with my grandmother, and I went from death to life. And Satan tried to destroy me and destroy our home and destroy our future. And what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And I was delivered out of that darkness. Praise the Lord. He brings death out of life. His, his hope is supernaturally powerful. No one else can do that. No one else can, can help you walk in victory over the darkness and undo the works of Satan and set the captives free and deliver you from bondage. His hope, have you tasted it? Have you experienced it? Have you given your life to Christ? It's supernaturally powerful. Only God can bring life out of death. Here's my question. Do you believe this? I mean, do you believe this? I believe this as a nine-year-old boy. I gave my life to Christ and became a follower. Do you believe this? Do you believe that where there is no hope, where there is no recourse, where there is no answer, where there is no help, when there is no way, when there is no remedy, when there is no solution, when there is no body, that there is hope if you have Jesus? I wonder who believes that in here today. Or has the enemy blinded you? And you don't believe. Do you believe Jesus can make a way when there is no way? He brings life out of death. Secondly, underneath this supernatural power, this hope is supernaturally powerful. He will bring a new heaven to a new earth. We have this inheritance waiting in you, waiting, waiting for us kept in heaven for you. It's going to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, John, John the, the writer of the uh, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. No more going to the hospital. No more, no more treatments for cancer. No more pain. Lucas will be able to eat any kind of heavenly food he wants to eat at that time, Right? He was breaking out some, some, uh, some fried wings with the Frank's hot sauce on it, right? Everyone in Texas thinks there's going to be biscuits and gravy in Texas, but if you don't think, don't tell them that if you don't believe that, but that's what they think is going to be there. 
He will bring a new heaven to a new earth. Please know this. Satan always gives his best up front. God always saves the best for last. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be far better than... Uh, in the States, a lot of people like to go to Hawaii. Lucas tells me here that it's common for people to go to a place like Thailand that's really pretty. Guess what? Thailand, the Caribbean, Hawaii, they all look like the ghetto compared to the new heaven and the new earth. Huh? Anybody want to go there? I'm all in. I, I, I'm ready to go today. Let's take a trip. He'll bring a new heaven to a new earth. We have guaranteed reservations. He is coming back and the reservations are guaranteed. He's got a place reserved for you. No one's going to take your spot. You ever get on a plane? I've been on a plane and sat in a seat, and someone's come up to me and said, hey, you're in my seat. I'm like, I don't think so. I, I got, here's my ticket. Here's the number. They're like, ooh. I was, in a, I was in Florida last summer in a condominium down in Florida, and someone comes knocking on the door. They're like, uh, you're in our room. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I reserved this room. And there was a big, big disagreement there, and that room had been double booked. How many of you know that's a bad vacation when someone else is in your room? Thankfully, we were, we were accurate, and it was our room, but I don't know where they went. I guess they were homeless that night, but since I was on vacation, I didn't care. If, if I was normal at church, I would have ministered to them and tried to offer them something in the name of Jesus, but we were on vacation, so hey, <laughs> go sleep on the beach. I don't care, right? So God's hope is supernaturally powerful. Second, God's hope is surprisingly joyful. Look at, look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, all types of trials we go through, so that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." God's hope is, how can people through the darkest, hardest, most painful times, how can they be joyful? Because they have the hope of Christ. It's surprisingly joyful. Why is that? Well, first of all, on your outline, these tests, these trials, they're temporary. Look at Romans 5, through, uh, 5 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, knowing what... Aren't you glad that you can know some things? Aren't you glad the, the Bible is written so that we can know, not so that we can doubt? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, what's the word? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Romans 5, 3 through 5. Why does God allow us to go through these trials? Why does he allow us to go through these tests? Because Jesus wants me to soar higher in my relationship with him. He wants me to fall deeper in love with him. He wants me to grow stronger in my faith in him. He wants me to be more consistent in my walk with him, to bear more fruit in my service to him, to draw closer to his heart, to keep my focus on his face, to live for his glory alone. He wants to purify you. It's more precious to him, your faith, than gold. These tests are temporary. They're to make us like Jesus. Guess what? Most of what you have now, you can't take to heaven with you. Did you know that? It all stays here. But you know what you can take? 
your character, your Christ-like maturity, development, and character. You get to take that with you. These tests are temporary. Secondly, on your outline, he is making us his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says this, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't get that confused. We're not saved by good works. We're, we're saved for good works. He's preparing us and he's preparing the good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some translations say we're not his workmanship, we are his masterpiece. He is making us his masterpiece. If you've given your life to Christ, you know that you were bought with a price, a precious, the precious blood of Jesus. He owns us. He's painting a beautiful masterpiece. I'll tell you one more story about Lucas and I. It's, it's not such a fun story. But Lucas and I, not only did we work together in Missouri, but I did end up moving to Michigan. And then Lucas came up there, and he was our youth minister. And, and, uh, and Sue worked at the church. And we inherited a church that was very sick and unhealthy. And the previous leadership was very carnal and ungodly. And so we inherited that. And... Um, we're working there, and the old youth pastor that Lucas replaced, he was now the associate pastor. Sometimes, how many of you understand that sometimes in a bad situation, when some of the leadership stays in the church, they can maybe cause a little bit of trouble? So he stayed there, and another elder, they started to become disgruntled and upset with Lucas. And just because he wasn't the old youth pastor and he did things differently and his personality was differently, they wanted to attack that. And so one of the elders came into my office, and they said, hey, we need to get rid of Lucas. I said, no, I don't think so. And as the lead pastor, I said, he's not done anything wrong. He's working hard. He's doing music. He's doing youth. He's trying to go to school. He loves the kids. Just because he doesn't have the personality of the last guy, we're not going to get rid of him. I said, over my dead body, will you ever get rid of him? Well, guess what they decided to do after that? Guess who they went after next? I never, it never entered my mind because I'm sometimes, sometimes, you know, uh, I think I'm only some dumb, but sometimes I'm plum dumb. I mean, I just, I'm just clueless, right? Sorry for that deep intellectual description there. Uh, <clears throat> and so they came after me, and I, I, did, I have no idea they were coming after me. I, I'm like, what have I done wrong? And uh, he hadn't done anything wrong. But how many of you know some people are just born against? Huh? They don't care who it is. They're just out to get you. And so one of my, one of my close friends we hired, he, he betrayed me. He jumped on that side. And to make a long story short, my leaders in that church went against our Constitution, and they fired me. And so that was a very humbling time. That was a very dark time. Uh, that was hard. You live in a little town, and here you're a pastor, and you get fired. Woohoo! Put that in the newspaper. Isn't that exciting? And you've done nothing wrong. But you know what? That was just for a little season. It was just a temporary trial. God was just purifying and making us his masterpiece. And that's part of how I went to Texas. And that's part of how Lucas and Sue got here. Do you realize that? We could still be in Michigan. We could still be at that church. But all that stuff worked out. And here's what I say. If the great baker in the sky wants to feed me humble pie, guess what? I've got to eat it. And that's on me. 
And I, and, I, and I need a lot of purifying, just like you do too. And, and you can elbow the person next to you because so do they need it, especially if you're married to them. <clears throat> we all need that. All right. God's hope is supernaturally powerful. It's surprisingly joyful. <clears throat> and lastly, God's hope is supremely insightful. Verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Though you have not seen him, you love him, referring to Jesus. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God's hope is supremely insightful. I've written a couple of notes there on your outline. Loving the invisible Christ... God's hope is loving the invisible Christ more than visible circumstances. God's hope gives you incredible, incredible insight. You see things that other people don't see. You're aware of things that other people aren't aware of because you have his hope and you see things differently. Do you know that perspective is one of the few things that can change everything in a situation without changing any of the facts? God, loving the invisible Christ more than visible circumstances. Back in World War II, uh, a lady named Corey Timboom and her dad were trying to save Jews from the Nazis, and, and, and they got caught. And so she was sent off, Corey Timboom was sent off to a concentration camp. And she said, at that concentration camp, I learned how to have hope. You know what she said? She died in 1983. Here's what Corey Timboom said. She has the book, the movie, The Hiding Place. She said, when I look around the world, I get distressed. When I look within, I get depressed. But when I look to Jesus, I find rest. That's insight. That comes from God's hope. You see, hope may not always change your circumstances. I imagine the first month or two that Lucas was diagnosed with cancer, he, he might have been hoping that that would change pretty fast. Hope may not always change your circumstances, but hope will always change you. Loving the invisible, having that insight. Please know this. God rewards faith, not feelings. Hebrews 11.6. It's faith is what he rewards. Can you love the invisible Christ more than visible circumstances? The last couple of days, we, we got into town Thursday. The last couple of days, we've been to the hospital with Lucas. And we have sat there and talked with Lucas and Sue. And, and Sue literally runs from person to person in the hospital talking to their wives like she's some official hospital chaplain or something. You thought she was in charge of the place, and, it, and she's talking to every lady there, and she's introducing us to Anne, and Anne's like, oh, this, oh, Sue, she's my angel. God sent her to me. I thought they'd known each other for months. She's like, yeah, I met her last night here at the hospital. <laughs> this lady had been married 48 years, and she just found out her husband only has two or three months to live. How can Lucas be talking to the doctors and Sue talking to the wives and they're so focused on others? That's, that's, that's supremely insightful 
See, they realize their first thing, their first calling is to love Jesus and represent him in any situation. Only God's hope could allow you to do that. When you're in extreme pain and you're in extreme pain for your husband. Also in your outline there, God's hope is supremely insightful. Rejoicing in the eternal insight Rejoicing in eternal insight more than temporal eyesight. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 is my last scripture of the day. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Do you focus more on eternal insight than temporary eyesight? Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. And Lucas is kind of praising the Lord about some of that. Huh? Right, Lucas? Woo! He's not half the man he used to be. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, he's getting in better shape. I mean, you, Americans don't say things probably the way you want to hear it. Sorry about that, Luke. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen We don't look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me give you a principle. If you don't know this, write it down. The invisible controls the visible. You think you're in control? How many of you parents think you're in control? Huh? You think you're in control of your kids? There's a word for that. The word is illusion. You can't control yourself, let alone anybody else. Only as you submit to the Lord and the Holy Spirit controls you or you have any chance. Rejoicing in the eternal insight. What are you looking at today? C.S. Lewis, I'll give you one more C.S. Lewis quote. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Just give me Jesus, because nothing else satisfies. The things of this world do not satisfy. You see, seeing isn't believing. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Well, here's my last thought for the day. You see on your outline, what's our action step today? Is there an area of your life today where your hope is misplaced? Is there an area of your life where your hope is misplaced. Sue alluded to that earlier. Sometimes we have hope, but sometimes we forget about it. Or sometimes we put part of our hope over here and part of our hope's here. And, and, and here's where my hopes are financially. And, and we compartmentalize the Lord. Is God your hope? Is Jesus your hope? Because there is hope for the hurting. That's good news. Why is it so important that we put our hope in Christ? Because everything else is false. It's a fantasy. It's not real. Be careful. As I said, Satan gives his best up front. Do they have Oreo cookies here? Some people in America like to take a, a, a couple or, or like a whole pack with the thing of milk and eat them. And that might taste good at first. By the time that whole pet gets to your stomach, woo, it's time for a little pet. Do you have Pepto-Bismol here? You guys ever heard of that? 
that, that pink stuff? Yeah, there's time for a little bit of that. Why? Because Satan gives his best up front. You need the real hope. There is hope for the hurting, and his name is, tell me, Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Thank you for listening today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you a few questions. This is a private time. No one's looking around. This is between you and the Lord. That's why I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There's nothing magical about it. I just don't want you to look around because I want you to really focus on you and the Lord right now. You just heard through music. You just heard through his word. You just heard through the message today that there is hope for the hurting. It's in Jesus. But let me just ask you a couple of personal questions because I don't want you to go out of this room the same that you, the way that you came in. I want you to have more hope than when you came in. Let me ask you this. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, so please don't look around. Is there someone here today that says, Lonnie, you said you gave your life to Jesus Christ at nine years old. Has there been a time and a place where you gave your life to Jesus Christ? When you became a personal follower, no one can do it for you. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about sitting in a room where, where people talk about God and you carry a big Bible or what. Have you personally realized that you're a sinner and you needed a Savior and you accepted the payment of Jesus Christ on that cross for you and you were born again and you asked Christ to come in your life and save you and forgive you and you became a Christ follower? I did that as nine years, nine years old. With, with, this is just a private time. I won't remember who raises their hand. But is there anyone here today say, Lonnie, I'm not sure that I'm a Christ follower. I'm not sure that I have that personal relationship. I'm not sure when I lay my head on my pillow at night that I have that peace that I'm right with God. And if I died today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. Pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian, that I'm a Christ follower, that I have that personal relationship, that the spirit of Christ is dwelling within me. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that here today? No one's looking around. But would you raise your hand and say, Lonnie, I'm not sure that I have that, I have that hope that you're talking about. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you. I don't know you. I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Lonnie, pray for me. I'm not sure that I have that eternal hope. Thank you. Thank you. Just write up and write down. It's a personal decision. I remember in 1985 in a church in Iowa, I made a decision to have a personal relationship with a woman named Disney. We call it marriage. I remember that. Do you remember entering into a personal relationship with Jesus? You say, pray for me. I'm not sure that I have that eternal hope. We've had a few so far. Anyone else? I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you because you won't do this without God working in your heart. Those of you who know the Lord, today, would you like to recommit? Would you like to say anew? Would you like to say afresh? I want to put all my hope in Jesus. I want to put all my hope in Jesus. I want him to be all of my hope. I don't want to misplace part of my hope. I want to put it all. I don't want to put it in the world. I want to put it in religion. I want to, today again, Lord, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm giving you my all. All my hope is in you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I'll wholly lean on Jesus' name again today. I don't care if you've done it a thousand times before. Today, no one's looking around. Would you raise your hand and say, today, I put my hope all in the Lord again. I do it again today. I, I, I die again to myself today. Jesus, you got all of me. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. Here's my last question. Thank you. Many, many hands. Thank you. Here's my last question. For those of you who have that hope, it was mentioned earlier today, will you commit to sharing it? Here's my assignment for you this week. Will you pray that God will give you one person, one person, one person? Will you pray every day? You got to start with prayer. Will you pray that God will give you one person this week to share that hope with? Will you pray 
that God will give you one person this week to share that hope with. Will you raise your hand? No one's looking around. I'll, I'll, Lonnie, I'll, I'll take that challenge. Lonnie, I'll make that commitment. I'll pray for one week every day to a chance to share that hope. Thank you, thank you, many hands. Thank you. Father, we love you. We need you. Thank you for the blessed hope, Jesus Christ. We look forward to his return. You're our hope. You're our Savior. We'd rather have Jesus than anything. Silver or gold. Riches untold. Houses or lands. Anything this world has to offer, we'd rather have you, Jesus. Thank you that you are hope for the hurting. Amen.